Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic, long asked for, much anticipated, indeed, finally delivered, angels. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Llewellyn, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, we've been waiting seven years, some of us. <laughs> okay, we should explain this, because this has not been something that has been public knowledge no. that you have been asking for this for seven years. We should explain, after... Almost every podcast or at the beginning when we get together to begin the day's recording, we're like, hey, what's our topic for the day today? Hey, do we have a topic for next week? What are we going to talk about? Inevitably, Dawn looks at me with this spark in her eye, knowing what the answer is going to be. And she says, maybe angels. Angels. <laughs> and, and you have to understand, angels are something that people actually care about. Yes, they do. Anytime I see anything on social media that is remotely talking about an angel, be it biblically accurate looking or not, whoa, the comments are something to read. Right. Like people have feelings like with a capital F mm -hmm. about this topic. And I have put my head on the line a lot for this podcast. I have spoken my theological opinions and put disclaimers and caveats and all the things out there for many years. But I consistently have looked at Dawn and said, no, no. I'm not talking about that. That has been your line in the sand of, <laughs> nope, not going to go there. I'm not going to go there because I don't have the energy and the time to actually do legitimate research. And by legitimate research, I mean more than a basic internet search that anybody could do about angels and like looking beyond Wikipedia or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like maybe even at least pulling down the Book of Concord and seeing what Martin Luther has to say about angels so that I could give a Lutheran perspective or something to ground us because I figured people would actually want to know these answers. Mm -hmm. Well, the day has finally come and Y'all, you're getting basics. I, I did not have time to pull down my book of Concord. You're not getting Martin Luther's treatise on this. I did not go in. Honestly, I would be shocked if Martin Luther had a treatise on this. Well, I think there's a likelihood that he probably did write something about angels. And like, I didn't go into Portland Seminary's library. I did not look up my alumna ability to get into the stacks and do any academic researching on this. I do have my doctorate of ministry. I know how to do this kind of research. Did I use those skills? I did not. So I'm going to give you some information. People are going to have opinions on this information. Mm -hmm. Some of this information is likely going to be accurate. Some of this information may not be completely accurate. All of this information is going to delight Dawn. Yes. And I'll tell you what, folks, that is what matters the most in this time and in this place, because our producer has done unlimited hours of incredible work on this podcast. And so my gift 
to our producer who has worked so hard and who was the one who came and said, I want to do a podcast Mm -hmm. and so has brought all of this to us is to put my head on the line and say, I will talk to you about angels today. I love it. And thank you (laughs) for this amazing gift. I would start, though, by telling anybody who has not actually Googled what a biblically accurate angel looks like, stop the podcast, go do that, and then come back. But we should put like a content warning that if you... They often come with their own content warnings. They might. Some of these images. They can be frightening to people. They can be scary to people. And sometimes people don't want to see those kinds of scary images. Not gory. No. But just different than we anticipate. So be aware. Mm Mm-hmm. They're different. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay, let's start there. Angels as described in the Bible Mm -hmm. are what? So here's the thing. A lot of the description that we find about these creations. So we know that what we are discussing are creations by the divine. They are beings that are created like humanity like the creatures of the earth and Mm -hmm. air and sea. And they are mentioned throughout scripture as being a part of the creation, right? Like we hear about messengers from God. We hear about Gabriel by name. We hear about Michael by name. We hear about the angels at God's throne. We hear about the multitudes of angels that are heralding God. We hear about those things throughout our scriptures. Mm -hmm. We hear about angels in some of the visions of the prophets and in some of the apocalyptic literature that we have. So these beings, these created beings, are of God and come from the divine. So we know that they're created. And the descriptions that we have of them are what are called extra-canonical. They're from scriptures that are not necessarily in our canon. They're extra-biblical texts. Now, that doesn't mean that they are any less a part of our understanding or any less a part of our tradition. The creeds that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, these are also extra-canonical. They're extra-biblical understandings of our faith. Okay. But they are a part of our faith so much that we understand them, but they're not in our scripture. They're not from directly the Bible. The descriptions that we're going to talk about today of two of these created beings come from scripture that is not necessarily in our Protestant canon, but is a part of holy scripture and part of holy tradition. Okay. A lot of this comes out of Hebrew scriptures, and we share it with Jewish and Islamic faith, as well as Christian faith. So it's a part of the Abrahamic tradition, which is beautiful to note. It's fascinating to me that it is shared with the Jewish faith, and yet their understanding of angels is very different because they don't believe that when you die, you become a quote-unquote angel in heaven. Right. Because Again, they have this kind of an understanding of angels versus our understanding that has been westernized Mm -hmm. of angels with this idea of a human body and 
bird-like wings. I'm going to blame Western art and the Renaissance again for this. Bingo. Mm -hmm. You're right on track. It's a big kind of theme of some of the research that I did do that art and the Renaissance and those kinds of pieces really did have a strong influence on how those of us in the Western world perceive and understand angels in general. And I think while kind of the surface level research that I was able to do on archangels, there we're talking about Michael and Gabriel and Uriel, that the archangels may have been perceived in a more human-like form. These are the messengers of God, the ones who are, for example, Gabriel is the archangel who comes to tell Mary that she is going to be pregnant. It is Gabriel who comes to tell Elizabeth that she is going to be pregnant, or actually Gabriel tells Zachariah Mm -hmm. that they are going to have a child, not Elizabeth. Gabriel is this messenger. And so perhaps our understanding of the experience, the human understanding of the experience of these archangels was more humanoid in experiencing them because we don't, I have not found a description of archangels and how they appear. And Michael is talked about as this warrior and defeating the dragon and these kinds of pieces, Catholics may have a stronger understanding and a stronger history with some of these archangels. Michael defeated the big dragon and is a, known as the sword of God. But there's not specifically a description of an archangel being in this humanoid form, much less in a masculine humanoid form. But art certainly depicts him, whether that is iconography or statues Mm -hmm. or Raphaelite paintings. You can find a ton of art that is going to show these archangels in human form with large wings. Okay, so what does the Bible describe then as their form? What is described, and this is really interesting, is that there are various different forms of celestial hierarchies. Oh, my. I'm giving air quotes to this, which people don't get to see because we're podcasting and we don't videotape our stuff, so people don't get to see my hands. Mm -hmm. So the most influential angelic hierarchy in Christianity is proposed by a Greek author, Pseudo-Dionysius, And he is writing somewhere around the 5th century CE, and it's called On the Celestial Hierarchy. And this proposes a kind of three-tier structure with the archangels kind of at the bottom tier, Mm -hmm. which is different than some that puts the archangels in the highest tier, right? Sure. That would have been my understanding anyway. Right, which is a very Catholic understanding. But... In this one, the first tier is the tier that we do have descriptions of. Okay. Out of the Hebrew scriptures. And those are the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones. Okay. The thrones are also known as the ophanim. And those are the ones that we have descriptions of. Are you going to keep me waiting or are you going to give a description? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, let's start with the thrones. Let's start with the Ophanim. And these come out of Ezekiel. And the first one 
is this image and folks who have looked up biblically accurate angels have likely seen this one. Mm -hmm. It is the wheel within the wheel with the eyeballs all over the wheel. Okay. So the scripture verses are the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel and they four had one likeness. And their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four. So it's a giant round ring with a ring inside, Mm -hmm. with a ring inside of it, with eyeballs on all of the rings that floats along and doesn't really spin, but moves the throne of God by moving the throne of God. Like this is how the throne of God moves, is on the Ophanim. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot of eyes. It's a lot of eyes. Eyes are a theme. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot of eyes. It's freaky. <laughs> so the Ophanim are not in the Bible directly classed as an angel. It's it's in the book of Enoch. This is where I talk about the kind of extra biblical sources. Uh-huh. The book of Enoch is the one who talks about that the Ophanim are an angel of power. Okay. And so that's where we start to see where the cherubim, seraphim, and ophanim are all a part of this throne of God, presence of God, incredible, majestic, overwhelming. Oh, it's overwhelming. All right. Oh, yeah. They got that right. (laughs) I mean, think of what poor Isaiah was seeing. I'm afraid to. When Isaiah is like in the throne room of God and sees the throne of God. So that means the Ophanim are at the bottom, these giant round eyeball things. And then the cherubim would be there singing their song and the seraphim above, which the seraphim are then the ones that come and talk to Isaiah. So we'll get there. So let's go to the cherubim next. So when you think of cherubim, what do you think of? Well, you kind of got to go to the cherubs, right? The cute chubby little babies with tiny little wings on their back. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is entirely because of art. Sure. And what I discovered about this is that particularly coming from Raphael and some of the other paintings of this kind of time, the Renaissance era, are actually called puti, P-U-T-T-I. Okay. And they come out of the iconography of Venus and her son Cupid. Okay. And they are coming out of a different faith tradition. They're coming out of different imagery and symbolism. They're making cute what is not cute. I mean, that makes sense to me because if somebody had described a cherubim as I'm assuming you're about to, I would want a cuter version myself, right? (laughs) Yes. Especially when you're talking about these images are going, you know, in homes and in churches specifically, that would be a lot to take in. Right. So these cherubim, which are found on religious, secular artwork, these little images, 
these puti are found of these little cute ones. They were images that were more about love and the presence of love and the presence of kind of sweetness and kindness Mm -hmm. and maybe some mischievousness because they were also associated previously with Pan and with that kind of playfulness Mm -hmm. that comes along with that mischievousness of Cupid and those sorts of pieces and Venus and Aphrodite. And they got pulled in and attached to God in this Christian sense and placed into this idea of being the presence of God, being a sign of the presence of God and the presence of love and kindness. The cherubim, once again, we return to Ezekiel. This is really strange. It's really, really strange. And when you hear this description, it may ring a bell for you as a Catholic, or it may ring a bell for other people. Do you remember from like your Catholic days, the images of the four gospel writers and the semiotics of the four gospel writers, the symbols that were used for them? Vaguely, there's a lion and a, yeah, I've seen them. You've seen them, right? So there's a lion, there's a human, there's an ox, and there's an eagle, right? For the four gospel writers. And I was always intrigued. Like, I really don't understand where that semiotic standing comes from. And then when I read this description, I'm like, what? My brain was like so fascinated by this. And I'm very intrigued to know how this all connects. And if I have more time and more brain energy, I would be really fascinated to go down this line. But here's the description. And I'm reading the King James version. I could probably try and find a different version that was easier to understand, but this is what's handy. So I'm going to do my best to make this accessible. Okay. Very strange, but here we go. So this is again out of Ezekiel chapter one. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled the color of burnished brass." And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined to one another. They turned not when they went. They went, every one, straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whither the spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. I adore the hubris of the Renaissance painters who were like, well, 
I don't know what to do with that. So let's just paint a cute little baby instead. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Forget something that has like ox hooves. We're just going to make it yeah. a baby. Yeah. Let's make it cute instead. Give it tiny baby wings. <laughs> that is something, man. Right? And this description of this creature that is always facing all directions at all times. I don't even, my brain does not know what to do with this. Of course it doesn't. Which I think is probably the point. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is a created being that is beyond our comprehension. That is absolutely beyond our comprehension. But seriously, as you're describing these things to me, I know that every time an angel appears to anybody in the Bible, the first words are inevitably be not afraid, but that's not enough. Right? There's no way that's enough. Right? Be not afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm Too late. A giant, terrifying, completely incomprehensible creation. Don't be afraid of me. Wow. Okay. Right? I have to wonder if the archangels look different because these descriptions of, of these incredible beings at the throne of God are so far beyond anything that one can comprehend. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. And we have in the scripture these descriptions over and over again of people not being able to look at God or, you know, Moses looked at God and saw God. And so Moses's face was so changed that Moses had to veil their face mm -hmm. from that point forward because people could not see his shining face and be unafraid of him. Right. And so what was it about seeing God or the incomprehensible that had so changed Moses's face that he could no longer be gazed upon. And if these are beings of flame and wonder, it just, so let's keep mm -hmm. on with this flame kind of imagery. Okay. Right. Because the cherubim have this flame piece to them, right? We get to our final one that we have a true description of in scripture. This comes from the book of Isaiah. And this was actually my ordination text. Okay. I used this as my Hebrew scripture for my ordination. And so we're going to Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 7. And this is the seraphim. And here's the text. This was written sometime during the 8th century BCE. And Isaiah sees God on God's throne. Here's the scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of God's robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, that line, the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, we sing that during the Eucharistic prayer on Sunday mornings. Okay. When we do the Eucharistic prayer, mm -hmm. part of the proper preface is, and so we join with all the angels, the multitudes of hosts, the cherubim, the seraphim, and we sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is where this is coming from. Okay. And we proclaim in this proper preface, 
that we are joining the angels and the multitudes of the heavenly hosts, the cherubim and the seraphim in proclaiming this. <gasps> okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this goes on and Isaiah says, woe is me for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. It is at that point that God says, who will go from me and whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. So anyone who loves that song, here I am, Lord, Mm -hmm. that's where this is from. We're talking about this incredible scene with these seraphim that are these giant six-winged created beings beyond our comprehension. But again, there's this idea of flame being involved, of the brightness and the heat, and yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the word seraph derives from the Hebrew word serap, which means to burn. So some say the seraphim could have an appearance akin to literal burning flames. Wow. That, again, my mind's eye is like busy trying to figure out just what would that look like beyond our comprehension that's really amazing no wonder we don't dwell on this right in any particular part of any reading or church service yeah and yet we invoke it casually almost yeah we do Mm-hmm. wow okay i gotta ask yeah since you've talked about the singing Is it just that they're scary looking or is there something about the sound of them too? I don't know. We don't have anything in particular about their voice or how they sound. It's interesting that you ask that. The reason why I chose the Isaiah text for my ordination text is because it was one of the texts that I was introduced to very early in my life as a person of faith. I was in college and it was, might have been my senior year. So I had been baptized in my junior year, and it was my senior year, I think first semester, and I was pondering whether or not to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. And I was taking an oral interpretation class in my theater degree. And one of the large pieces that we did in our oral interpretation section, we had one that was like children's books, which is how I can read children's books upside down. And I know particular techniques around reading children's books and keeping kids engaged in those kinds of things from this Uh particular class. We also used scripture as part of this because it's it's rich. It's just a rich source of material. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my chaplain at the time what I should choose, what passage I should choose. And he gave me this one. He said, I think you should spend time with this one. So I spent probably three or four weeks with this one text, practicing it and deciding how to bring it to life auditorily, orally. And it was interesting when I offered it in class and got feedback because and I haven't forgotten this. 
because one of the comments I got back was, I was so curious how you were going to bring the voice of the angel to life Mm -hmm. and what kind of a sound you were going to make for the voice of the angel, because you could make so many choices with that. You could go really loud. You could go really soft. You could go very strong. You could, you, you could go a thousand different ways with it. And I had been told by one of my directors that one of the most powerful choices you can make as an actress in particular, but I think actors as well, one of the most powerful choices you can make is to go softer Mm -hmm. and make an audience lean into you to hear you. And so I chose to go soft and intimate in that moment. And so I have always thought of this giant, noise-filled, rushing room filled with the sound of fire crackling and the hosts of heaven proclaiming God's glory and this booming voice and echoing chamber. And then almost that sense of that rush in, that Mm -hmm. and that seraphim right there, one-to-one in that holy moment, touching the mouth, behold, This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And then back to the chaos of the room. And so I think in some ways there is that potential of the voice over Bethlehem when the angels announce Jesus' arrival to the angels as being giant and huge. But there's also that potential that the voice was so quiet and so intimate right next to them. And we will never know. We'll mm-hmm. never know. What do you make of the angels and their role in the Bible itself, regardless of what they look like? I think they're fascinating in Scripture. I think these kind of places where they are the celebrants of God and the space setters in the sense of they fill the sky or they remind us of the celebration situation of the multitudes of angels of the heavenly host proclaiming the joy of Jesus' arrival, those kinds of things. I also find being the messenger of the divine a very interesting role. Mm -hmm. I am very interested to know more about the archangels and how they fit. I wish that there was more that I could find about them in my research. Interesting. Okay. So we've talked about them being set dressing basically for God. We've (laughs) talked about them being messengers. Mm -hmm. Where does the whole guardian angel thing come from? I don't know. I haven't found a source for that. And it's very interesting because some of the resources that I was kind of digging through, looking through, did reference guardian angels Hmm. and did talk about it because I think people really want to know and really do care about wanting to know about their guardian angel and how their guardian angel fits into the angelic hierarchy and those kinds of concepts. And I will just say that there is not a biblical grounding for guardian angels Other than saying in Psalms that we will be watched over, our going out and our coming in will be watched over. So Psalm 121 has that, that we will be watched over by God. 
There is the promise that Jesus relies upon that angels will not let you, you will not stumble on a stone, right? Those kinds of pieces. And so I Mm -hmm. think that people are leaning into those verses and those ideas for this idea of guardian angels. Interesting. And so we can let ourselves ponder and wonder and know that we don't have to understand everything and let it, let it be. Okay. That's going to lead me to my last question. What is your favorite biblically accurate representation of an angel? (laughs) Because we've both seen lots of arts and crafts around this too. We have, especially in these years where I have been trying to avoid this podcast. Mm -hmm. It has become a bit of a joke to send each other biblically accurate angel representations. Mm -hmm. I think my very favorite is definitely the Christmas tree toppers. They're pretty spectacular. I love them so much. And knowing, I think, I think it's the Ophanim versions. That's the wheel with the eyes. Yep. The wheel within the wheel. Mm -hmm. So the round ones with the wheels within the wheels. But there's also recently an amazing cosplayer who has created like a headpiece. Whoa. With eyes that will blink along with her eyes mechanically. Wow. And it's so freaky and so cool and multiple round cylinders. It's amazing. So that one's pretty darn cool too, I gotta say. Wow. We'll try to hunt some of these down and link them on the page if anybody's (laughs) brave enough to take a look. Yeah, brave enough. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about angels. Finally. Finally. I am delighted to have sat down with you and talked about this particular topic. Absolutely. Thank you for your patience in giving me time to do some research and find some answers to your questions. Thank you all for joining us, for listening along. We have an incredible backlog of over 350, almost 375 episodes for you to listen to on our iTunes and Spotify and our website. You can find our website with all of our episodes Mm -hmm. at centralportland.org. Just look for that podcast page on there. And if you have any questions, you can send them on to podcast at centralportland.org. Until you listen to our podcast next, remember, God loves you no matter what.